Well, if you want to turn in your Bibles to uh, Matthew chapter 6, uh, and you can hold your place there, uh, beginning with, I think it's verse 5, where I'm beginning today. Uh, when we get there, it'll be on the screen, but if you have your Bible and you like to, uh, uh, to follow along in your Bible, you can turn there and hold your place until we get there. So, prayer is an amazing thing. If we consider it, if we think about it the way that we should, if we think about it properly, prayer is communicating with God, the creator of everything, the sustainer of everything. Prayer is talking to the one who spoke the worlds into existence, spoke the universe into existence. He knows how everything started, and he knows how everything's going to wrap up. That's what prayer is, talking to that one. It, it is talking to the one who knows literally everything about you. Knows secret fears that you've never shared with anyone else. It is talking to the one who knows every moment for the rest of your life and how it's going to play out. It is talking to the one that knows the exact moment and circumstances of each of our passing from this life to eternity. Prayer is communicating with God. And if we think about that properly, prayer is a tremendous privilege. Amen. It's a privilege. You know, most of us consider it a privilege to be able to talk to someone who's well-known, someone who's, you know, well-respected, someone who is uh, famous. I actually don't like doing that because for some reason I, I, I get nervous doing that. You know, like, okay, they're just a human, but, uh, but I get nervous doing that. So people will say, hey, I could introduce you to something. No, that's all right. I'd rather not. <laughs> but, but, uh, but most of us, you know, most, most more normal people than myself, they enjoy doing that. They enjoy uh, uh, speaking to someone who, who is famous, well-known. You know, for example, most of us uh, uh, would probably consider it a pretty cool experience, a pretty good privilege to be able to spend a few minutes conversing with Urban Meyer, uh, you know, the coach of the greatest football team in the United States. And, uh, and we would like that. And, and before his passing, most, uh, most Christians would have considered it a tremendous honor uh, to have been able to spend a few minutes uh, speaking with Billy Graham. And actually, that's one I would have taken people up on. That, that would have been uh, an awesome experience. Prayer, speaking with God, is a greater privilege than that. It's a greater privilege Men, it really is a greater privilege than speaking with Urban Meyer. Uh, it is a greater privilege than speaking with Billy Graham, as wonderful as that would have been. And the witness of the Bible and the witness of millions of people throughout history is that prayer, communicating with God, holds powerful potential. Speaking with God results in things and people changing. Speaking with God results in our changing. It changes us. And so prayer is communicating with God, a tremendous privilege. It is known to be a thing that holds powerful potential. It results in change in circumstances and people. And yet for many of us, many of us here today, 
believers even, prayer is a bit of a challenge. We, we don't do it like we should. Uh, we, we don't desire it like you would think we would desire something that is such a privilege and like you would think we would desire something that holds such powerful potential. And, and there are many reasons that this can be true. It's, they're all unfortunate. And I'm not going to go through all the possible reasons uh, for why that might be, but one obstacle to prayer, I think, is that people aren't entirely certain sometimes how to go about it. It is admittedly a little bit of a different form of communication than we're used to. Uh, One thing I thought about this week is one reason prayer is different is because all of us are kind of used to in conversation, we can just tell that whoever we're talking to is just waiting for us to take a breath so that they can interject what they wanted to say. And God's different than that. God will actually let us talk and talk and talk and talk and he won't interrupt us and then we tend to need to like stop talking and be quiet and listen carefully for him and so we're used to people like all right a breath is approaching I can tell it's almost my turn and God's not like that we have to slow down a little bit and so it's it's a different form of communication You know, we often give advice regarding prayer that amounts to, and I give this advice, just talk to God like you would someone else. And I have given that advice. I will continue to give that advice, but it's not exactly the most precise advice in the world. It's not like thorough, because there are differences in communicating with God than with other kinds of communication. And so it does warrant some more instruction than just saying, hey, yeah, just talk, just talk. In fact, one day, Jesus' earliest and closest disciples came to him and they said, Lord, we would like you to teach us to pray. We'd like you to teach us to pray. Now, I don't pretend to know what the prayer lives of Jesus' earliest disciples were before they began to follow him, and I really don't know exactly what their prayer lives were like in their early walk with him, but evidently, they felt that they needed some instruction on prayer. They were, they were interacting with Jesus. They, they needed instruction on prayer. And this would seem to indicate to me that they had some questions about prayer. It would seem to indicate to me that they found prayer to be somewhat challenging and they wanted Jesus to weigh in uh, on prayer. And, and so he did. James McDonald, my wife's favorite preacher, including me, which is hurtful, notes that <laughs> you, you don't find anywhere in the New Testament where Jesus' disciples ask him to teach them to teach. They, they don't ask that. And he says, I didn't verify it, but I, I trust him because he's James McDonald. He, he also said that there's uh, nowhere in the uh, New Testament where the disciples asked Jesus to teach them to perform miracles. Teach them to heal people. Now, now they, they, you know, saw that happen and they, they prayed for people and they got healed. But he says there's nowhere in the New Testament where they say, hey, teach us uh, to, to do this. But they do ask him, teach us to pray. Teach us to pray. 
They perceived that they needed help in this area, needed instruction, uh, which, among other things, speaks very much to the importance uh, that prayer uh, is to have in our lives. They understood that prayer was to be an important part of their lives, and, uh, and it tells us that it should be an important part of our lives as well. We've talked about this in recent weeks. In fact, I shared with you a couple of weeks ago uh, that prayer is a key to spiritual growth. And it is a key to experiencing a fruitful future. It is key to experiencing a life, living a life that is consequential. A a, a life that, 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 you know, produces fruit that lasts into eternity. And so for all of us who know we need help in the area of our prayer lives, I want to look today for a few minutes at what Jesus taught his disciples about prayer. Now, for some of us today, the things that we're going to see in God's Word will be new information. And what I hope you'll do with this new information is apply it to your life. We're not supposed to just hear information from the Word of God. We're supposed to apply it. So I hope, I hope that you will do that. For many of us here today, this will be information that we have heard many times before. But I hope that you won't just tune it out because of that. I, I hope that you'll listen. It can serve as a refresher for you. Or if nothing else, it can serve as validation of what you're already doing in your own prayer life. So I hope that all of us, however many times we've heard this information from Matthew 6, or if it's the first time, I hope that all of us will open up our hearts uh, to receive what God wants us to receive from his word today, and that then we'll go from this place and we will apply it to our lives, apply it to our own communication with God. So I'm going to be reading Matthew 6, verses 5 through 13. Uh, It should be on the screen behind me, and uh, you can follow along as I read this. Keep in mind, uh, this is Jesus speaking answering his disciples and their request for instruction on prayer. When you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they'll be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. This, then, is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. So these verses are Jesus' instructions on prayer, Jesus teaching his disciples about prayer. And I think there are at least seven things in here, seven things we see in these verses that should form our thinking, guide our own prayer lives, and they actually serve as indicators of whether or not we are experiencing prayer in the way that God intends for us to. 
Praying the way that that Jesus taught us to pray is without a doubt the surest way to, to ensure that we experience and benefit from prayer in the way that God desires for us to. And so the first thing I want you to see in today's text is that prayer is to be authentic. Prayer is to be authentic. That word has kind of become like a buzzword. I almost don't like the word anymore, but, but, but its use is right here. Prayer is to be authentic. And Jesus gives us a test to tell whether our prayer lives are, are authentic or not. And, and here's what it is. Do you pray in secret or only in public? So he tells us prayers to be authentic, and he tells us how we can tell. Verses 5 and 6 again. When you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray, standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen. They've received their reward. They got what they were after. People saw them, thought they were wonderful people. They got their reward. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. So Jesus is saying, very simply, that prayer needs to be real. It needs to be authentic. It needs to be sincere. It is not to be put on. It is not to be done to look good in front of other people. Prayer is not to be posturing. It's to be heartfelt, real communication. And again, the easy and definitive way to know if you're praying authentic prayers, if your communication with God is sincere, is this. Are you praying in secret? Or are you only praying in public? Jesus says that people who pray in public settings, in religious meeting spaces or on the street corner, Not a problem I see from many Christians today praying on the street corner. (laughs) He says people who do that, but don't pray in the privacy, in the secrecy of their own homes, he says those people are hypocrites. He says their prayers are not sincere. They are not authentic. Now, I don't think he's saying that all public prayer is insincere. He's not saying that. He's more narrowly saying that if folks pray in public but never pray in private, then those folks are revealed as insincere and inauthentic. They're they're exposed before God. They look good to people who see them pray, but they're exposed before God as being insincere. And we see this happen in our uh, own interpersonal communications with people, right? You'll see this happen with uh, spouses, with husbands uh, and wives. You know, they go out with friends and they fake a good relationship. You, you know, one of them just goes through the motions. They're, they're with friends. They, they laugh together. They, they uh, joke around with each other. They, they talk to each other. They look to all of their friends like everything's good. And then they go home. They're in the privacy of their own home. And that person who looks so gregarious and outgoing with their spouse suddenly shuts down, won't talk, withdraws to another part of the house, doesn't want to interact, and that's just sort of the way 
that they live in the privacy of their own home. And what does that reveal to the the spouse who's on the receiving end of that? It reveals an insincerity about the relationship. And it's similar here. Public prayer without private prayer indicates insincerity. If you are praying in the secrecy of your own home, be encouraged that God says that is an indicator that your communication with him is real, it is authentic, it is sincere. If you examine your life and you have to admit, look, I am not praying, I am not communicating with God in the secret place of my own dwelling, this is not in any way meant to uh, condemn you as hopelessly insincere. That, that may have been true of some of the um, hypocrites that Jesus referred to in this text, but, but, but that doesn't mean that you are hopelessly insincere at all. I think that God points things out uh, like this, points things out to us as a way of inviting us once again into a real, a sincere, and authentic relationship with him. Jesus pointing out these kind of things, it's not meant to condemn us. It is is meant to wake us up that our relationship with him is not what it ought to be. It's not what he desires it to be. And, And so in drawing our attention to this kind of thing, what he is doing is inviting us to change the status of our relationship with him. He's inviting us to stop being like that husband who pretends that he has a good relationship with his wife in public and then in private, he shuts her out. He's inviting us into a real and authentic relationship with him. And so if you're a person who says, yeah, I'm not praying in the secrecy of my own home, I don't want you to be condemned today. I, I hope what you will do is you will simply go before the Lord in the privacy of your own home and say, God, I am sorry for my hypocritical behavior. And God, I commit again today that I'm going to begin to have real and sincere communication with you. Here's the second thing that Jesus teaches about prayer. It is to be simple. (laughs) And some of us say, I got that part down. (laughs) It is to be simple. Verses 7 and 8. And when you pray, don't keep babbling like the pagans, for they think they'll be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. I really appreciate that Jesus told us this. I I think we need to hear this because I think this is an area that many of us face a great deal of temptation. I think that most Christians have some level of temptation to think that what we say, how we say it, the precise words that we use, finding just the right words in our prayers somehow... That's improving our odds of the prayer being answered. I think even those of us who would say, when presented with that possibility, will know, of course, that's not true. We do not believe that. I think even those of us who who know that's not true, when we start to pray, 
we still face the temptation toward that very thing. At least I do. I know that I do. And so we say things like, Lord, please heal my brother of this sickness that he has. And that's a perfectly fine prayer. Perfectly fine prayer. Now, the person you're praying for, because of how we all pray normally, may feel like underprayed for if you end there. <laughs> but, but that's a perfectly fine prayer. It's simple, to the point, it's good. And yet we don't feel satisfied with it. And we secretly feel this compulsion that if we leave it at that, that couldn't possibly be effective. And so we continue. Lord, please heal my brother of his sickness. Lord, please heal what's wrong with him. Lord, you know what's wrong and we ask you to heal it. Lord, he has a problem and we'd like you to fix it. Lord, in the name of Jesus, please heal what is wrong. Lord, in the mighty, all-powerful name of Jesus, please heal what is wrong. Father God, please heal my friend. Holy Spirit, do what only you can do and heal my friend. And we just go on and on and on. How else could I say the same thing and unlock the secret to an answered prayer? So listen, I think that many of us do that, and we do it very well-intentioned, and I'm confident that it's probably deeply ingrained in us enough that we're not going to stop doing that. And I don't think it's inherently wrong, provided, provided, that we are not praying that way in response to some kind of inner compulsion that it is our many words our repetition, our precise phrasing that is the key to answered prayer. Keep praying like that, that's fine. I'm pretty confident I'm going to keep doing some of that stuff I just, I just laughed at. But we need to be concerned and we need to take steps to correct it if that is coming out of a place that says somehow this is the key to getting an answered prayer. Because when we entertain that kind of a thought and we pray in service to that kind of thought, we, we, we may be unintentionally doing it, but we are reducing prayer to a superstitious exercise. Like the pagans who babbled. And, and God doesn't want us to do that. God is good with simple prayers. We don't have to uh, impress God with our vocabulary. We don't have to impress God with the way we turn a phrase in our prayers. And God wants us to be very clear that prayer is not a superstitious activity. It's not the way the pagans treat it. It's not like we appease God if we find just the right words, and, and if we find just the right words, then he will answer like the genie in the bottle. If we don't get the mantra just right then he's not going to answer. It's not like that. That's not what prayer is. God doesn't want us to get caught up in that kind of thing. He wants simple, straightforward communication with us. He wants us to know that simple, straightforward communication is effective because 
The power of prayer is not in our many words, not in our right phrasing, but in the fact that we are in touch with God. That's where the power of prayer comes from. And so I want everybody in here, especially those of you who say, oh, I really struggle to pray out loud for someone. You know why we often struggle to pray out loud for people? Because we've convinced ourselves it's a performance. I have to say it just right. Everybody's going to be evaluating my prayer. Take the pressure off. Prayer is not a performance. Simple and straightforward prayers are fine. If someone asks you to pray for them and you put your hand on your shoulder and you say, Lord, please heal my friend, amen, they will look stunned for a minute, but that is a perfectly acceptable (laughs) prayer. (laughs) The next thing Jesus teaches about prayer is seen in the sample prayer that he gives in verses 9 through 13. Verse 9, this then is how you should pray, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. I think this lets us know that prayer is to be worshipful. Prayer is to include worship. This phrase, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, is a statement of recognition of who God is. It could be understood as something like this. May you, God, be recognized for who you are, absolutely holy. And in prayer, we are to personally recognize God for who he is. God, I recognize you for who you are. Absolutely holy. And so our prayers should be worshipful. And again, it's not like, you know, we're, we're buttering God up to get something from him. That's not the motivation of it. But our prayer is to be worshipful. It should include things like, God, you are good and gracious. And I, I thank you for being so gracious to me. God, your name is above every other name. God, you are the reason I live and move and have my being. God, I worship you because you know everything and you're all powerful and and I'm just in awe of who you are. Prayer is to be worshipful. If your prayer life is missing something, it's just kind of dull and drab, it might be that it's missing worship of God. And again, worship of God isn't isn't meant to like butter God up, but one of the great things about praying worshipful prayers is that it increases our faith for the rest of what we're going to pray. It increases our faith for that moment when we get around to the, and God, I'd like you to answer this prayer. And increasing our faith and confidence in God. It, it does that. Worship does that. So when we get to the point of our prayers where we're saying, God, give me strength for today. We're saying, God, heal my friend. When we're lifting up the needs of those that we love, we do that with more confidence and more expectation when we have entered into prayer by worshiping God. And worshiping God helps us with the next aspect of prayer. When we kind of put God in his proper place, when we, when we exalt God in worship in our prayer lives, then it prepares us for the next aspect of prayer, and that is that prayer is to be submissive. Submissive. An often overlooked aspect of prayer. Verse 10. 
Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Prayer is to be submissive. Now, in recent years, it's become a common application of, of this line in the Lord's Prayer to interpret it very simply as, let up there, come down here. And, and, and it's usually said in the context of our desiring the benefits of God's eternal kingdom to be present in this evil age that we currently live in. And I want to be clear, that is a perfectly fine application uh, of this verse. But we need to apply this verse more personally as well. Not just let up there, come down here. Not just, hey, let all the good things of your eternal kingdom be a reality in the time that we live in now, but something more personal. God, let your will be done in me as it is done in heaven. In heaven, God's will is perfectly done. And so when we pray, let your will be done in me as it's done in heaven, it is a prayer of submission to the will of God. It is a prayer that says, God, I yield to you. It is a prayer that says, God, wherever I may come in conflict with you, if you will just show me if you will just show me that I'm in conflict with you, then I will submit. I'll submit. In communicating with God, we should regularly be communicating to God our willingness, our desire to submit to him as he reveals areas of our lives that are not under his authority. Ways of thinking that have not come under his authority. So if your prayer life is languishing, here is another thing to consider. It may be possible that you need to offer God some submission in your prayer. Prayer is to be authentic. It is to be simple. It is to be worshipful. It is to be submissive. And then we find that prayer is to be practical. Verse 11, give us today our daily bread. Daily bread is just representative of basic human needs. Basic human needs. Jesus is telling them and he's telling us it is okay to ask God for the things you need in life. James McDonald, my wife's favorite preacher, including me, which is hurtful, defines our basic needs as income. She's not even laughing. I don't, I don't understand it. Income physical health, emotional health, and spiritual health. I think that's pretty good. Pretty good. Sam Farina, who pastored Christian Assembly on the north end of Columbus for years before uh, he passed away, wants to find our basic needs as food, clothing, shelter, something to do, and someone to love. I think that's a pretty decent list, too. I think both are good lists. We could probably add some things, you know, um, and, and I think these lists can be different for each person. But the point is that Jesus tells us it is okay to pray for the practical needs that we have in life. It is not selfish to pray for our needs to be met. God welcomes us to speak to him, to ask him 
Four things that we need. God, God welcomes us asking for our daily bread. He loves us. He wants to provide for us. And when we ask him for these things, it reveals our faith in him as provider. And this is pleasing to God. When we recognize that he's the source, that he can provide these things, that pleases him because that is who he is in our lives. He is our provider. And so you never have to be uncomfortable asking God for things that you need. Let's look at verse 12. Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Prayer is to be repentant. It's to be repentant. In prayer, we're to lay out, admit our shortcomings before the Lord. We are to ask his forgiveness and we are to turn away from our sins. And of course, this verse lets us know that Jesus is very concerned that recipients of grace also be extenders of grace. He cares very much about that. He wants us forgiving those who wrong us just as we're approaching him to ask for forgiveness for the sins that we've committed and the ways that we have wronged him. And here's another thing that if you're struggling in prayer, you might want to consider. It may be that your prayer has lacked repentance. It could be that there's something between you and God that hasn't been dealt with that needs to be dealt with. It could even be that your reluctance to pray, and I notice this in my own life, your reluctance to pray is connected to the fact that there's some area of your life you know you need to repent of, some area of your life you know you need to turn away from, but you kind of know you're not actually there. You're not really ready to do it. And so this is keeping you from God, keeping you from prayer. And so here's my encouragement. If, if the Holy Spirit highlights for you that, yeah, that's a problem, you know this thing is wrong and you're not wanting to talk to me because this is an obstacle between us and you know you're not ready to, to give this thing up, but here's what I would encourage you to do. Still communicate with God and just be honest about that thing. Just be honest that that's where you're at. God, I know this is a problem between us. I know I have something that I, I need to give up. But God, I have to admit, I, I feel very insecure about my resolve right now to turn away from this thing. But you keep confessing it. You keep acknowledging that you know this is wrong. And you keep saying, God, I need you to change my heart. Change my heart so I'm willing to walk away from this thing. Don't allow it to shut down your communication with God. Just have honest yes. communication with God. Prayer is to be repentant. And finally, the last thing I want us to see is in verse 13. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Now, obviously, this is a, a request to be protected from Satan. But I think it reveals something else important about prayer. I think that prayer is to be expectant. It is to be expectant. The, the essence of this entire prayer, I think, is an attitude of expectation. 
Jesus is laying out a prayer here where we are expecting God to hear. We are expecting God to draw near to us. We are expecting that God is going to answer us. And so the entire prayer, and verse 13 specifically, I think, does not carry a tone of uncertainty on it. It, it, it is not an uncertain prayer. I really don't think that Jesus gave this sample prayer and like, like the tone of his voice was, was teaching them to approach God with uncertainty. And uh, you know, God, if, if it would be possible for you to keep me from temptation today, that would be great. If God... If somehow in your power you could keep the enemy from triumphing over me again today, that would be a wonderful thing. I'm not sure. I'm not sure that's possible. But if it would be possible, please let that happen. I don't think it's like that. I don't think that's what Jesus was modeling for them. I I can't believe that would possibly have been the, the tone of his voice. I think it would be more something like, Lead us not into temptation and deliver us again today like you always do from the evil one. I think it would be something more like that. I don't think it was an embattled line. I think it was a triumphant line. God, once again, today, through my life, demonstrate that Satan is defeated and you are victorious. I think it's that kind of thing. And speaking of my own life and what I perceive in many of us, I think that we need more expectant prayer. We need more expectant prayer. Through no fault of God's, we sometimes allow the enemy to knock us around. And so it damages our confidence in God, but God didn't have anything to do with it. That was us. That was us. And so I pray that God can restore to us confidence in him, not put our junk on him, not put our failures on him, so that we can pray bold prayers. That we can end our prayers saying, God, through me again today, demonstrate your victory, and Satan's defeat. We are to pray expectant prayers because the God we serve is all-powerful and he hears and he answers prayer. So Jesus, in response to his disciples' request, teaches on prayer. And what Jesus says, be authentic. And you know you are if you pray in secret. And then he says, pray simple prayers, worshipful prayers, submissive prayers, practical prayers, repentant prayers, expectant prayers. Could we agree there is no better expert on prayer than Jesus? If anyone disagrees with that, would you raise your hand? No, I'm just, just joking. We, we should be able to be unified on that. There's no better expert on prayer than Jesus. And so I am convinced that if we will take this sample prayer from Matthew 6, 
apply what Jesus taught to our own prayer lives, it will change our lives. It'll do that. And our church. And our town. And then it goes on and on. A couple weeks ago, I shared that to grow spiritually, we have to be committed to the Word of God. We have to be committed to prayer. I shared that if we want to have a fruitful future, a consequential future, a life that produces things of consequence, we have to be committed to the Word of God in prayer. And so today, we have this opportunity. We have this opportunity to apply the Word of God as we have seen it today, to our prayer lives. We've got the Word of God. We've got prayer. Take what we've seen in the Word of God, apply it to our prayer lives. And if we will do this, we will grow spiritually, and our lives will begin producing the kind of fruit that lasts to eternity. So it's my hope all of us will do that. Let's stand. The worship team is going to come and lead us in a closing song or two. I want to invite the prayer ministry team to slip up here as well. I want to just invite the rest of you to bow your heads and close your eyes and just be open to what the Lord may want to do in your life over these next few minutes. I live with the belief that God... Uh, always guides the topics that we come to on Sunday mornings. And so I believe that God in, in uh, his omniscience and his sovereignty, he brings the right people together on Sunday mornings to hear the things that he has directed to be taught about. And so that means that if something is resonating with you today, I believe God orchestrated it. And I believe God orchestrated it because he wants to do something in your life today. And so if you would, uh, go ahead and bow your heads, close your eyes, and just be open to what God may want to do.